Section 32 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Gantz. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 6, The Rass-Like Fishes, by W.P. Pycraft. The members of the four families noticed in this chapter are remarkable for their wonderful coloration. The species of the first family, from their peculiarly striking resemblance to the scaly fin group, share with them the name of coral fishes. This resemblance is a very remarkable one. Occurring, like the scaly fins, more abundantly in the neighborhood of coral reefs, they also resemble the latter not only in shape, but also in coloration, the same pattern being often common to members of both families. To this family belongs the remarkable fish known as the amphiprion, which makes its home in the interior of an enormous species of sea anemone, measuring two feet across. When first discovered by Mr. Savile Kent, it was believed that the fish had been swallowed, a view, however, which was speedily rejected, when it was found that, if ejected by means of a stick, it invariably returned. Thus, the anemone is obviously to be regarded as host, and not as captor. More than this, from the facts so far to hand, it appears that this strangely assorted pair are mutually dependent on one another, at least to a large extent, the fish undertaking to supply the larder, whilst the anemone in return affords shelter from enemies. The part played by each is as follows. The fish, which is very conspicuous, wearing a livery of vermilion crossed by three bands of white, sallies forth and swims about till it attracts the attention of some other carnivorous member of its class, on which, if it gives chase, the amphiprion returns with all speed to its living cave, and quickly disappears down its mouth. The pursuer, blundering against the outspread tentacles, is immediately paralyzed by a shower of stinging darts, which proceed therefrom as a result of the shock, and, rendered insensible, becomes the spoil of both. Thus the active fish plays the part of a lure, and in return is afforded shelter. The wrasses proper may be distinguished, among other things, by their thickened lips, hence the name lip fishes given them by German naturalists, by the greatly extended back fin, the greater part of which is spinous, and the arrangement of the teeth, which need not be discussed here. They are shore fishes, living in the neighborhood of weed-covered rocks, or in tropical seas, where they are most abundant, amid coral reefs. Most are brilliantly, many gaudily colored, iridescent hues frequently adding to the beauty formed by the permanent deposit of colored pigments in the scales. Some grow to a large size, specimens not seldom exceeding a weight of fifty pounds, and these are the most esteemed as food fishes, the smaller species as a rule being regarded as of inferior quality. A well-known British species is the striped or red wrasse, the sexes of which exhibit a remarkable variation in color the male having the body marked with blue streaks or a blackish band, whilst the female has two or three large black blotches across the tail. A second British species, the Ballin wrasse, is bluish-green in color, with the scales and fin rays reddish-orange. It may be found hiding in the deep gullies among rocks, sheltering in the dense clusters of seaweed, and feeding on crabs and shrimps. It takes a bait freely, and fishermen have remarked that at first they catch few but large fish, some days later a great number may be caught, but all will be of small size, indicating that the larger fish assume the domination of a district and keep the smaller at bay. Amongst the most brilliantly colored of the wrasses are the parrotfish. Mr. Savile Kent, writing of the species which inhabit the waters of the Great Barrier Reef of Australia, remarks that to stand up to your knees or higher in water with such a shoal of magnificent fishes swimming round you 
is an experience well worth a journey to the tropics. The coloration of these fishes, which is extremely transient, fading almost immediately after death, nearly defies description. One of the most beautiful is perhaps the gold-finned coral fish, in which the body is of an intense ultramarine, whilst the fins are bright golden. Others have the most amazing combinations of green, vermilion, blue, and yellow in endless variety. It was one of the parrotfishes which found such favor with the ancients. In the time of Pliny, writes Dr. Gunter, it was considered to be the first of fishes, and the expense incurred by Elaplentius was justified, in the opinion of the Roman gourmands, by the extreme delicacy of the flesh. It was a fish, said the poet, whose very excrement the gods themselves were unwilling to reject. Its flesh was tender, agreeable, sweet, easy of digestion, and quickly assimilated. Yet, if it happened to have eaten an aplysia, it produced violent diarrhea. To this day the Greeks hold it in high regard, and eat it with sauce made of its liver and intestines. It feeds on seaweed, and from its habit of thoroughly chewing its food, and moving it backwards and forwards in the mouth, it was at one time believed that this fish chewed the cud after the fashion of the ruminating mammals. One of the most interesting of all the wrasses is a small species from King George's Sound, which, while retaining the principal characters common to the group, has assumed the general shape and proportions of the pipefish. The third family of the wrasses are remarkable chiefly on account of the fact that they produce their young alive. These fishes are confined to the temperate regions of the North Pacific. The chromids constitute the last family of the wrasse-like group. Numerous in species, they are all dwellers in fresh water. One species occurs in amazing numbers in the Lake of Galilee, shoals over an acre in extent and so closely packed that movement seemed almost impossible, having been recorded. They are taken in such enormous numbers that the nets in which they are caught often break. Occasionally shoals are carried down the Jordan into the Dead Sea, but the fish never get further than a few yards, becoming stupefied almost at once, and, turning over on their backs, fall an easy prey to flocks of cormorants and kingfishers. Heaps of putrefying carcasses are washed ashore, poisoning the atmosphere, in spite of the presence of flocks of ravens and vultures which have gathered to the feast. Another species is remarkable for its peculiar method of protecting the eggs and young. The female deposits the eggs, over two hundred in number, in a small hole worked out among the roots of reeds and rushes. There they are taken into the mouth of the male one by one, and retained till hatched a few days later. The young fry remain in this nursery for some considerable time, increasing rapidly in size, so that the father nurse is unable to close his mouth. Some of the young develop among the gills. Others lie closely packed, with their heads turned toward the mouth of the parent, remaining in this position till nearly four inches long, when they are ejected, or wriggle out to forage for themselves. End of section 32